Hi, I'm Debbie Harbeck, and I'm a certified life coach working with women in midlife and through the menopause transition. So each week, I'll be sharing the latest information, inspiration, and generate some momentum so you can move forward and feel more in control of your changing midlife body and your life. Let's go. Okay, so welcome to the Midlife Momentum Podcast. I am so glad you joined me today because today I have a special guest with me. Her name is Nancy Ma, and she is a registered pelvic floor physiotherapist, yoga teacher, autoimmune health coach, and marriage coach. So welcome to the podcast, Nancy. I'm so glad you you could come. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So do you want to tell the audience a little bit about um, who you are, what you do? Uh, because one of the reasons I, I did invite you on, obviously, were women in midlife and I know that you're a pelvic floor physiotherapist, and that was one thing that intrigued me. So that is uh, something I know we'll, we'll spend some time talking about, and then we'll just see where that takes us. So sure. tell us a bit more about that. Well, by trade, I am a pelvic floor physiotherapist. I started off just like most new grads do. Well, I start off in private practice where I saw a lot of people who came in to see me for various injuries um, after work or work injury sort of thing. And then I just started noticing pretty early on in my career, a trend of, let's say, kind of symptoms that people were experiencing. And I just realized that a lot of those issues were just due to having a busy and stressful lifestyle. Mostly, I worked in the city. So a lot of people who have busy, hectic lifestyles, and a lot of them, women in midlife who had to juggle a career, taking care of kids and all the usual stuff that you know, women do have um, struggles with. So when I became a mom myself, I kind of just wanted to learn from those challenges and not go down that route and have those same issues. And so that's when I really got into yoga and having a healthier lifestyle overall and eating healthy and I became an autoimmune health coach. And I also did my training in public floor, which I didn't do until I was pregnant with my daughter like 10 years ago. So ever since then, I've been really focusing my work on working with women, mostly um, women who have had kids, who come to see me for various pain, pelvic floor issues, overall health, that kind of thing. Okay. I I thought that was interesting because you said you noticed a trend of symptoms and that part of the contributing factor was a busy, stressful lifestyle. So what, what kind of symptoms were you seeing in these women? So a lot of the cases are, uh, that I worked with, they don't necessarily come in with pelvic pain all the time, but a lot of the cases I was working with, the women had low back pain, what we call lumbopelvic hip region. So it's that kind of that area so low back pain, sacroiliac joint pain, so the SI joint pain, kind of where your back meets your tailbone, hip issues, where your leg meets your pelvis, and pelvic floor. So th- those are kind of the, the main areas that people would have issues with. And usually it came from, not always, but after having kids. There's lots of women who have pelvic floor issues without having kids. But I just noticed that the busier their lives got, and especially the bigger, busier their children's lives got, the more pain they would have and the more problems would accumulate over the years because these things just don't happen at, from nowhere. They just, there's usually an inciting incident 
and it just gets neglected and builds up over time and then eventually it can lead to dysfunction and and poor mobility which is ultimately why they end up in my office so a lot of pain i guess is pain really like the trigger that that sends people to you in the first place or are there yes. other things that are happening yes unfortunately the reality is and i would like there to be a different reality but the reality is um, that most people don't do anything about their problems until it becomes painful so you know we've probably all heard the saying you know when you or maybe people haven't but your body sends you whispers and if you don't listen it'll start to yell at you that that's just the normal case we don't hear those whispers because we're busy we're just very distracted with our very busy lives and so people don't end up in 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 any office whether it's physiotherapy massage chiro their doctor until it becomes almost debilitating sometimes when it stops them from doing something so say for example it stops people from being able to go for a run or working out or go for a walk or be able to even sit. Some people have so much pain that they can't sit for a while. And obviously we need to be able to sit a lot of the day. So yes, the long answer is people don't come in to see me or get help until there's pain. And unfortunately not until there's enough pain that it stops them from doing something. So people don't come in to get help until they're at usually about five six out of ten pain when it's at a one or two out of ten pain they won't do anything even when three or four but when it comes five or six some people start getting help and some people don't go in until it's eight or nine out of ten pain and I find this is to be true for a lot of women because we have a quote-unquote high pain threshold so we will grin and bear it until we can and I don't think that works to our advantage so I guess what happens is they are feeling a smaller amount of pain earlier on, but aren't taking the time to do something about it. Right. So you see them when they're later in that stage. And and now maybe it's a little bit, is it then tougher to to do something about? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I... For sure. Not impossible. Our, mm-hmm. our body is very resilient, designed to heal, um, can certainly get better with the right intention and consistent uh, work and effort. But often people, again, will do enough work till the pain subsides, but it doesn't actually correct the imbalances. So usually people have pain. It doesn't start off that way. It, it starts off with maybe a little bit of pressure or imbalances. You might be walking a little bit uh, funny, maybe to favor one side of your body over the other. And so those imbalances build up and then we have kind of a repetitive strain injury with overuse in some muscles and underuse in some muscles and you know with relating to the pelvic floor a lot of time people don't really understand well first what the pelvic floor is and what it does but then a a lot of times we hear oh you if you have problems it's because your core is weak so go strengthen your core Mm -hmm. and the problem with that is our core is made of so many muscles so it's not always that the whole core is weak. It's just that there's an imbalance of muscles. Some muscles are weaker than others. And so this imbalance will create dysfunction, which then ultimately leads to pain. So sometimes, you know, when we're doing things just to correct the pain, we're just taking the edge off, but we're not going deep enough into the work to correct those imbalances. 
Yeah. So you mentioned like the pelvic floor and, and we, we've said it a few times already. Can you describe what the pelvic floor is exactly so that we can yes. understand it a bit better? Okay. So think of your core as a cylinder that is not rigid. The top lid would be considered your diaphragm. So that would be the area right under your rib cage. That's your diaphragm. And the area around that, so if you look at a can, say like the, the area around it, where you would read the label, that is, so you have your front core and your back core, and we have side core. And then our pelvic floor would be the bottom of that can. And so the cylinder is actually very mobile. So the top lid moves up and down like a pump. That's your diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And your pelvic floor also has to move up and down. And together, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor kind of maintain the pressure in your core. And so there, there always has to be this sort of pressure balance. And when there isn't, it within the, the pressure is not um, stabilized in your core, we can, you know, blow out a disc in our spine. You've heard of a herniated disc that what yeah. happens too much pressure in your core, but the, it, it will blow, so to speak, where it's the weakest. So sometimes it's the back with a herniated disc. Sometimes it's a, a hernia in the front. A lot of people, a lot of women have umbilical hernia, especially postpartum, but sometimes kids have it as well. And then sometimes you have a, pro, a pelvic organ prolapse. I don't know if you've heard of that. But a lot of middle-aged women will have pelvic floor prolapses is when uh, you have, even a hemorrhoid is considered a pelvic organ prolapse when there's a part of your body that should be inside your pelvic floor falls out of your body, um, out beneath the lid, so to speak, the bottom lid. Are we yeah. following, are you following me so far? Yeah. So I know with prolapse, I mean, you can have uterus, your uterus prolapse and mm -hmm. basically it, it drops through the pelvic floor or it, yes. it's no longer held by the pelvic floor. So it can drop down because your pelvic floor muscles are weak. Okay. So your pelvic floor, just kind of finished off the last question mm -hmm. are, is that bottom lid. So it's a set of muscles that um, control your continence, um, your sexual function. So, but sorry, by continence, I mean your bowel and bladder function, your sexual function and stability. So that you, when I was talking about that pressure gradient, we want to make sure we always optimize the, the level of pressure. We can't have too much or too little pressure in our core. And our, our, our pelvic floor is very important in maintaining that pressure gradient. So those are the, the functions of the pelvic floor. And we know where it is. And we know the pelvic floor is not just one muscle. It's not one thing. It's not one floor. It's actually kind of three layers of floors. So you have your outer, middle, and inner layers of your floors. So let's just say the outermost layers are our kind of our biggest superficial layers would be our glutes and the muscles in our hips that connect. Um, so you know where your sit bones are, the bony yeah. parts of the bump. Mm -hmm. That's that's uh, one layer, and then you have your the muscles from your pubic bone to your tailbone, and together they're all connected by what we call fascia, which is connective tissue. So when you said why do we have a pelvic floor prolapse or pelvic organ prolapse is because those tissues are too weak. Sometimes, yes, it's because the pelvic floor tissue is too weak, but sometimes it's because the pressure is too high in the core. It, it depends on what the diaphragm is doing too. So if you're someone that is constantly stressed and you're holding your breath a lot, 
a lot of people don't breathe. You know, we hear when you're you're feeling tense or stressed, it's just like take a deep breath. Why? Because your di diaphragm actually helps to maintain a certain amount of pressure. If you're holding your breath all the time, the pressure inside your body increases. So what that does is it can cause damage in your pelvic floor or your umbilicus. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Actually, it's really interesting because you're just making a link between the breath and the pelvic floor yes. and possible issues, I guess, that we could have with the pelvic floor could actually, some of them, I guess, could be linked back even just to your breathing. 100%. Like your incontinence or yes. prolapse or yes. any sexual dysfunctions, Pain. I guess. Pain. Tension. Yeah, 100%. It, it's due to not coordinating your breath because it, it's a mobile core and it's filled with many different components and parts and layers and tissues. So that's why, you know, stress is a big, is a big player in, in contributing to quote unquote pelvic floor weaknesses. And often it's not just, it's not a problem with your pelvic floor. It's, it's the stress. So if you're putting too much pressure on someone, there's only so, so much that they can, they have capacity to hold. So it doesn't matter how strong they are. If you're putting too much pressure on someone, someone will break, you know, mm -hmm. so that someone sometimes is the pelvic floor when we're talking about uh, a pelvic organ prolapse. And to answer your question earlier, it could be the bladder that falls. It could be your uterus and it could be just the, the wall of your vagina. Like it's made out of connective tissue. It's also falling. That's why I, I have a very holistic approach to the pelvic floor because the pelvic floor problems don't just come from the pelvic floor. It can come from your lifestyle, like not having too much stress. You're not breathing properly. You know, you're, you're not using your, your diaphragm very well. You know, I, this is why often when I work with clients, I don't really even look at the pelvic floor. I look at how they're breathing, how they're standing, what their posture is like, because all of that affects their pelvic floor. Okay. That's really interesting because I, I like that it's holistic. I like that that's your approach. And that it's not just a matter of we're getting older, our muscles are getting weaker, we just need to strengthen those muscles. It's, it's a, it could be several different factors. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, we hear this term or the saying a lot, oh, I'm just getting old. And the thing is, the older you get, it just means that more pressure has accumulated over the years and more bad habits have accumulated, mm. right? So your age has to do with like, how much time you spend doing something so if you you have bad posture for 80 years you're gonna have more problems than if you had bad posture for 40 years and you know so on and so forth yes I, there are hormone related changes to tissues sure but age is definitely not the culprit for all our problems especially not our pelvic floor problems i i love i love that there's there are so many factors here. I'm somebody who, who also works a lot with clients who have issues with stress and I'm all about the breathing and I'm also a yoga teacher. So I completely get that, but this is just one other layer to that. One other reason to be uh, aware of our breath and, and our posture and for all, you know, everything that's going on in the pelvic area, we need to, to look at all that. That's really interesting. For sure. And it's in the past probably five to eight years, I've really gotten into relationship coaching because I've found a lot of tissue. The reason we have issues in our pelvic floor is related to our relationship with our partner too. And so it's sometimes it's even not just beyond our pelvic floor and, you know, somewhere else in our body. It's, it's in how we relate to 
our surroundings and environment, especially, you know, with our partner and how we connect intimately. Yeah, there's all sorts of contributing issues. Yeah. Okay. So when you talk about relationships and relating to our partners is, are you talking that that is a stressful relationship or what is it about that relationship that can contribute to issues with the pelvic floor? You know, sometimes when people do come in for pelvic floor pain, usually with intercourse, it's, you know, when our pelvic floor muscles, as I said, is, you know, uh, layers of tissue, essentially muscle tissue and, and connective tissue. So if you are feeling not confident, not secure, and there's, or there's stress in that relationship, it will manifest or show up as tension in spots and, and triggers and learning how to address those things and really find ease and, and stability and security can help them decrease that pain. So I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of oxytocin, which is a, a hormone that is released when we breastfeed, when we have skin to skin contact, when we are having sex or having an orgasm. It's a hormone that's released that helps us bond with our partner. And so when we have that, we're able to relax. And when that happens, we can also have less pain. But it's how we learn to create the safe and secure kind of connection and attachment with our partner that we're able to have decreased tension in our muscles. Okay. I love that you explained that. Thank you. <laughs> that was really good. And I love the way you've explained also the pelvic floor. It is really visual to me. I'm a visual person. I like to the whole cylinder idea that re that's really helped me too. So there, there's a lot at play here and a lot that relates to women in midlife. I know a lot of have who've had prolapse, who've had incontinence issues, who've had, you know, sexual pain and and that. And so it's very interesting how it's not just necessarily a physical issue, but it could be uh, an emotional or mental um, issue as well. So I really like that you've linked that all together. For sure. And, and I'm glad you said as well, because, you know, when it's an emotional issue, it becomes a physical issue. So I'm, I don't want to take anything away from people who have real physical issues. And I'm certainly not saying it's in their head, or it's just their emotion, mm -hmm. or they're being hysterical. Obviously, that's you know, very sexist um, way of looking at it. But what I'm saying is that there is a component of your emotions that are changing the way your body is responding or moving or functioning. And so it's it's all of it. It's not just physical or just emotional, because obviously, if it's if you have pain, it is affecting how you operate mentally and emotionally. It's all interconnected, right? right. Where is it coming from? We don't know, but it's all playing together. So do you have an example of a client that you've treated or maybe more than one, but at least one example of a client that you've treated and how they started and how, what the outcome was? Sure. Let's say where I'm dealing with a 55 year old woman who comes to see me because she has usually at that age, it's more prolapse and incontinence that it's kind of interfering with her ability to like, just do everyday things without freaking out about you know going for a walk and then thinking okay I have to go to the bathroom before I leave and then I have to make sure that when I get there there's a bathroom there and you know I don't want to have any incidents when I'm out and it's also you know impairing her ability to go to a yoga class because she's afraid that you know she might leak 
And so it becomes kind of debilitating when it gets to that point where it, it's not just the, it's not scary to some people in that it's not a, you know, life or death situation. It's not a disease, but then it starts to really impair how they function in the world. And, and they start to have anxiety about whether or not they can leave their house and, and participate in the things that they like to do. And so she's not going out as much and she is starting to have pain with sex and her prolapse is getting worse. And then she's thinking about getting a lift, a bladder lift, because that's 90% of the time when it gets to that point, go to the doctor first, the doctor will say, you know, let's get you in to see somebody about possibly getting a bladder lift. And so what a bladder lift does is they lift the tissues where the, you know, the bladder has dropped it it lifts it above the level so you're not experiencing that discomfort of having your bladder kind of dangle outside of your body but now that you know we've talked about the pressure that doesn't change anything about the way your core functions and how much pressure you have so like 90 percent of cases okay i I think the actual number is about 65 percent or 70 it's really high that they'll have a prolapse again within a year because they have done nothing to change the dynamics of the, the tissue aside from lifting it up. So it's, if you don't address the pressures or the weakness of the tissues, then it's going to happen again. So interesting. Cause yeah, I would think that's some, what somebody would do is, oh, well, the issue is my, my bladder is dropping. I'm going to just put it back where it was and just get on with my life. But that's not what generally happens if you don't oh, do right. other things, right? Exactly. Don't quote me on the number. But, um, but anyway, so then, then she's like, Oh, I don't know if I want to go do that. So maybe I'll try some pelvic foot physio because I've heard it could help. And then they come see me. Then we look at, okay, so where are they all there is in your life where you're experiencing pressure. So it's, you know, in, in her lifestyle and her relationship with her partner and in, you know, her work and she's thinking about retiring, but she doesn't know if she should do it next year or wait it out for the next three years because of her her benefit plan so all the things that go on on through the head that I I get them to actually really journal all the things that are contributing to the pressure that they have in their life and then we look at the pressures in their body then we look at her posture and say okay so a lot of times when people have a prolapse they they have certain types of postures there's a you know certain type of posture where they they grip their butt where they're just squeezing all the time because that's what we're taught in all these extra class classes squeeze your butt tuck in your core tuck in your tailbone so all these cues they're not good for you because it's a certain cue in a yoga class that you're supposed to do at a certain point but a lot of time people hold these cues all day so they they're holding onto this pressure where they're gripping their muscles and those muscles get tired so anyway, we look at the posture, we look at where she's using her muscles and where she's underusing her muscles. And this will happen, you know, over a course of obviously a few sessions and, and sometimes, you know, a few months where she's understanding all her lifestyle factors that are contributing to her stress. And sometimes it's even the diet, because if you have a high inflammatory diet, you have more inflammation, you have more pain. Looking at that, we look at the posture, the lifestyle relationships, and then we start to take away the pressures before we even make any real change in the body. And so that people are always amazed at how those changes help immensely. So even something as simple as drinking 
more water, drinking three liters of water every day, because that decreases pressure, you're increasing flow. And that's always mind boggling to women who have incontinence because she's so afraid of leaking, but she doesn't drink that much water, but she's running to the bathroom all the time. So anyways, I, I help them maintain a better relationship with their water intake and outtake. Then we start to look at, okay, so how can you change, you know, certain easy things. So in your posture, how do you change the way you stand? A lot of times when I help women just with a few diet, dietary modifications, I wouldn't call it diet, but like a few modifications and their posture that does so much already. That's like helps like 60% of the issues just with diet modifications sorry, lifestyle modifications and like a few posture modifications, but it's not like huge things. It's not like, you know, people think of sometimes when you go to work out and then you have to do like 20 different exercises to get this, this body or whatever, but it's actually no, a few simple changes, even the way they sit, it's just if you just the way you sit, you know, can make these changes. So, and then people never have to get a bladder lift when I work with them. It's, it's just, well, I never recommend it because it doesn't do anything. Um, but then they get so much better. And actually prolapses can be reversed and people don't realize that it can be reversed. It's just, you have to be able to, and that does take a bit more time, mm -hmm. um, but in doing the right exercises to change the pressure, certain types of exercises called hypopressive exercises. So um, if you're listening to this and you have a prolapse issue, you can Google hypopressis, obviously, you know, take that with a grain of salt because, you know, ideally you'd want to be monitored and doing it properly. But um, hypopressives, as the name sounds, is you're decreasing the pressure. It's certain, certain breathing exercises where you actually decrease the pressure. You're reversing the pressure gradient. And that's how it can go back up your body instead of staying down. And, and that has nothing to do with strengthening tissue. That has to do with how your, your core maintains pressure. That's something people don't realize. You you do think it's all about, oh, I just need to strengthen the muscles, but there's so much more at play. Like that cylinder that we have that we're putting a lot of pressure on it because either we're not breathing or our posture is is rounded or, you know, just those simple things um, mm -hmm. can actually change the pressure and sort of like create a, a more of a vacuum, I guess it can suck the, uh, the yes. organ back yeah. into place. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And a lot of those hypopressive exercises are kind of like, like creating a vacuum, but yeah, even just do working in your hip flexors, you know, so much of our lives. And again, the older we get, the more time we spent, we spend sitting right. Versus, you know, if you're little, you're on the ground a lot, you're crawling around when you're babies. And then when you have babies, you're on the ground crawling with your kids. And then once your kids hit a certain age where you're not on the floor with them, we stop going on the floor. So that usually happens about 40 to 45. And then, so our hips get really stiff, right? Because if you're not, that's a whole, you know, the squatty potty. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this whole range of motion on our hips that we don't use anymore. And that affects our pelvic floor because our pelvic floor muscles are connected from hip to hip as well. So you don't have that plasticity or that buoyancy in your tissue or the elasticity rather in your tissue. So when you think of your pelvic floor, let's just say as a trampoline, a lot of women can't go on a trampoline because they will leak, right? Because mm -hmm. they, they can't handle that jump because there's a lot of pressures like negative and positive pressures as you jump up and down the trampoline. 
but we actually want our pelvic floor tissue to be more like a trampoline. It's strong enough to be able to handle jumping up and down. We don't want it stiff as a board, right? Because obviously you can more likely to have tears and tension, but this is the problem when we think we're weak, all we do is strengthen our pelvic floor and our core. And that actually creates more tension. We don't want to strengthen in those cases. You want to loosen. So sometimes it's about doing hip flexor stretches or uh, like frog stretches in yoga, where you are working on the elasticity of your hip muscles, because that's, if you think of your pelvic floor as being anchored by our hips, in our hips, we're going to have tension on pelvic floor. So, you know, even doing a lot of, you know, hip mobility stretches really, really helps the pelvic floor. Wow. That that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm talking from a person who I am a person who has hip pain and I haven't really, I haven't gone to see a pelvic floor therapist for that issue, but maybe I need to, (laughs) I'm wondering is, is any of that pain related to my pelvic floor? You're making me, you're making me think about this now. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That was uh, really great because so many of the things you mentioned are issues that women are are dealing with in midlife. Do you have any little things that you would recommend us doing on a daily basis that can help, you know, keep the pelvic floor in good shape? I would say overall exercises are to work on your whole body alignment. So I know that, you know, generally when you hit middle age, a lot of women, we like doing restorative classes restorative yoga. And I caution against those. I mean, I I caution women who are who go to those regularly, for this reason. When you go to restorative class, you're bolstered so that you can relax, right? But what happens is you're bolstered to your stiffness, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if if you have hip flexor tightness, Lying down flat on the ground is uncomfortable because your hips and legs are straight. So then you go and get bolstered. So now your hips are in a flexed position, but you're also bolstering your stiffness. And that's not going to help you have a normal range of motion in your pelvic floor. So what I would say is overall whole body pelvic friendly exercises is doing things where you're working your whole body alignment like learning to lie down in Shavasana flat on the mat and using the wall. I love using the wall as a prop to stand with your back against the wall and learn over time to be comfortable with being straight. And that's very uncomfortable for people because over the years, as they've developed stiffnesses that have led to poor posture, having straight posture is uncomfortable but you want to really work on alignment and then, and breathing while you're fully aligned. And that takes time. So sometimes if you're really bolstered up, you might, instead of having two pillows under your legs, go down to one pillow and then eventually go down to zero pillows. And then also doing, as I said, breathing exercises when you're aligned. So learning to do it on the floor and then doing it, you know, against the wall. Bridges in general are a great exercise, but then a lot of people do bridges poorly. So it's hard for me to give you a general exercise because, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. people have different needs. I love bridges as a general exercise, but bridges is done not correctly um, a lot of the time. 
And also, you know, even obviously it's something like the Kegel is not something for everyone to do. And it's even for the people who are supposed to be doing Kegels to help their pelvic floor, they're doing it wrong as well. So I guess to, to walk away with this, with general tips is to, to breathe more and slow down and really look at your, the areas in your life where you're feeling a lot of pressure and stresses and how you can, how you can minimize that, how you can do less to get more out of your body instead of trying to do more to cause more issues potentially, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love what you just said. <laughs> Cause I think we always think, well, I have to do more. I just got to do more and then it's mm -hmm. going to get better. But in fact, it's the doing too much. That's the problem. Right. So it's like, you know, dropping things like, can I let go of something that will decrease my stress that will allow me to breathe and feel better? Um, is maybe the most useful thing we can do. And another thing I picked up on when you were talking is the water. So you <laughs> mentioned drinking water is also quite helpful, right? Yeah, the right water. Um, the right water. Okay. The right water. The right water. <laughs> well, um, I like to drink reverse osmosis water with mineral drops in it because reverse osmosis water has no minerals. And we, we need mineralized water, but often tap water has chlorine and a whole bunch of chemicals and contaminants in it. So we want to drink pure water, pure mineralized water as best you can from non-plastic water bottles. I know sometimes that can be tricky, but the reason for drinking water is we want to keep, well, so many reasons. <laughs> uh, it's good for your blood pressure. Actually, the reason I got into drinking water more and how that totally drastically changed my life was when I was in school, I was very dehydrated. My periods were terrible. I had terrible headaches and sinus issues. And um, whenever I went to donate blood, they couldn't even draw enough blood out of my body because I had such low blood pressure. So when I went to the doctor, she was the one who told me to drink more water, actually. My family doctor at McMaster told me to drink more water, and I did. And that really drastically changed my life. It's just something so simple. My blood pressure normalized. I don't have sinus issues. Yeah. And didn't have any, my periods weren't bad after that. It was really simply, I was dehydrated. I also did start to eat a little bit healthier and was a little bit more active as well, but I attribute water. I mean, that's the simplest thing we can do. Plus it makes you go to the bathroom and get up. If you're sitting too much, you can spend hours on the desk and not get up. So drinking yes. more water forces you to get up and go to the bathroom, which is good. And you want to go to the bathroom when you have a full bladder. So if you go pee, count how long your pee is. You want it to be at least 10 seconds, like a count of 10. If it's less than that, you're going way too often, which means your bladder is tricked by your brain to think it's full when it's not. So when people say they have a, a weak bladder, it's not really that their bladder is weak because your bladder can hold more pee. It's that your brain thinks that your bladder is weak and therefore you keep training it to be like a little impatient child. So every time it acts up, we we go and we go pee just yes. so we can uh, placate oh, yeah. it for a little while. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so, okay, interesting. Yeah. So I haven't heard that one before, but that's a good thing to know. So we should actually try to hold our pee possibly a little while longer if our pees are, are shorter than 10 seconds. Yes, for sure. All right, well, that that was really, really helpful. I really appreciate 
all those tips and and especially around the water because that's so interesting that it was able you know you attribute it to helping you with um many different things i've heard of it with blood pressure high blood pressure uh so i think that's that's such an important and easy thing that we can do and, and also i had low blood pressure oh so, you had low blood pressure yeah. yeah that's right yeah so i mean it's it's both ways can mm -hmm. help with both yeah yeah yeah, that's, the, that's interesting. Okay. So um, before you go, and I'm so glad you were here, and this has been really educational for me, and I hope for my, I'm sure for my audience. So what for you, this is my last question, is the best part of getting older? Oh, I really, really love, love getting older. The best part is I just appreciate life more. The more you live it, the more precious, well, for me, the more precious I know life is because it's, I've, I feel like, you know, we, well, I'm at that point where I've kind of lived as much as I will be living kind of when you get to that midlife. So it's this, this, this great balance of, of appreciation, appreciation for what has been and what will be. I, I just have so much gratitude for the miracle of our bodies I've carried my body my body has carried me all these years and and I'm relying on it to carry me even more years so I have to be kind to my body in order for her to do that for me so I don't know yeah. if that answers but yeah no that's it's a beautiful that's a beautiful way to answer that question I really love that and that to think of our bodies that way that we are taking care of our bodies and, you know, our body takes care of us without us really noticing, mm -hmm. but we have the privilege and honor to take care of the body, our bodies that probably we've neglected maybe that first half of life. And now we can look at it and say, oh my gosh, what do I, I'm so lucky that this body has taken me so far in life. And now I'm going to, I'm going to take better care of it. I'm going to give it what it needs. No, I love that. What a great way to answer that question. Thank you. So, um, Nancy, if anybody in my audience wants to get in touch with you and they want to learn more about what you do, how can they do that? Um, they can reach out to me at my website is liveyourheartout.com and um, my contact info should be there. Yeah. So perfect. Are you on Instagram or Facebook? Mm, they can find me on Facebook under my name. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Under I'm not Nancy, an Instagram person yet. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I think we've got enough going on. <laughs> you don't need to do that. But that's amazing. So liveyourheartout.com is where we can find Nancy. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for, for all the wonderful information you shared with us today. I think it's so helpful for everybody in my audience. I'm sure everybody in this audience can relate to at least one thing you said it's going to be so useful so thank you so much and, and uh, we'll stay in touch awesome thank you so much debbie thanks nancy thanks for listening to this episode of the midlife momentum podcast if you want to learn more about working with me come visit me at debbieharbeckcoaching.com that's debbie i.e harbeck with a c coaching.com see you next week